Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you guys here for week three of our Gospel-Centered Marriage series. You know, week one, we talked about three myths of marriage that really can be harmful to you, whether you're married or single, if you believe or if you live as if you believe they're true. Last week, you know, we talked about really a core truth purpose around marriage. And we said that, you know, every marriage lives in two stories all the time. We call them the small story and the large story. And the small story really is a picture of what it means to live in marriage in a contract kind of way. You do your part and I'll do my part. And it's characterized by questions like, what about me? What about my needs? What about my heart? And it's an easy place over the course of time to have your heart shrink towards one another. And then we also talked about the flip side of that is the large story. And that is a picture of a lifelong covenant promise that expresses our marriage in a story that points us to a God who loves us and pursues us imperfect as we are, he pursues us with his unconditional love for a lifetime. And that sounds a whole lot like the work of a marriage covenant. And this morning, we're gonna talk about maybe one of the most important practices that we can engage in that will maintain and care for our covenant. And that is the need to regularly walk in repentance and forgiveness with each other. And honestly, that's true whether you're married in a family, if you have any relationships, walking in peace, repentance, and forgiveness is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, really great part about this morning is I get to invite my bride up here to be with me this morning and next week. Come on up here, sweetie. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Worth clapping, absolutely. So next month is our 43rd wedding anniversary. So that's a pretty fun and exciting thing. Yeah. She is a mom to four daughters that are all grown and married, four son-in-laws, and 11 grandchildren, and uh, possibly another one on the way. I'm not supposed to say that yet. But, no, it's okay. Uh, okay, yeah, possibly <laughs> another one on the way. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And, um, you know, she is also a teacher. She is a shepherd. And truthfully, and this is the truth, without her, there would be no marriage ministry here. She is tireless worker and and uh, we're shepherd. Better, we're better together, honey. Yes, and shepherd <laughs> on our marriage team. So there's no other person on the planet, truthfully, that's had more impact on me than this beautiful woman standing next to me. Oh, thank you, you know, right from my time in college meeting her, I was not a believer and, and was, and our, through our relationship, it's how I came to know Christ. And it came to, uh, after about a year of dating, it, it came one morning when Anne looked at me through tears and said, I'm sorry, the relationship really can't go forward. You're not a believer. Uh, I, and through her tears, she kind of said, we have to stop. So I stormed out of her apartment and uh, went downstairs. And before I made it to the parking lot, God grabbed me 
kind of turned, almost like turned me around and said, when, when will you surrender literally? And I went right straight back upstairs and I knelt down in the middle of her living room and prayed to give my life to Christ. Yes. And I, I really got up one person, I knelt down one person, got up another specifically around the area of forgiveness. Yes. And I grew up as a Catholic and went to Catholic school all my 12 years of schooling and went to confession nearly every week. And, but I never went to confession one time without realizing that next week I have to come and do it again. And not just like confessing between people, but like this is what's going on between me and God. And I'm, every week I gotta do it again. And that day when I received Christ as the first time in my life, I realized that I was genuinely, truly forgiven for every sin past, present and future. And it was just absolutely life-changing mm -hmm. to me. <laughs> well, I want you to know that um, as Larry shares his salvation story, it never gets old. It never gets old. And uh, the thing that so overwhelms me is that God chose me to be the one to be a part of his him coming to Christ concerning his life eternal in Jesus Christ. So, yay, partner. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So, what we want you to do, as you, as you look up at the screen this morning, you're gonna find a quote there by Philip Yancey that expresses a great hope about the power of forgiveness. And he says this, forgiveness offers a way out. It does not settle all questions of blame and fairness. Often it pointedly evades those questions, but it does allow relationship to start over and begin anew. You know, sometimes I, if I let myself, my mind wonder and imagine what a world would be like with no forgiveness. What would happen if every child and they, and they bore and they held a grudge against his or her parents. And then every family, then they, they began to pass on down feuds to the next generation and the generation after that. And as I stand up here, the truth is, I know that some of us here have lived in, a, in, in some form or another where you have experienced that, that you've lived without forgiveness and grace. So you know how you can answer that question. But I know this would be true. In a world, if there was no, no forgiveness, there would be bitterness, there'd be sadness, there'd be indifference, mm. there'd be judgment, there'd be anger and despair and hopelessness. And so I read a really sad story about a man who lived in Texas. And he remained married with his, with his wife, but he chose not to speak to her for over 40 years. And it was over a fight and how much money she had um, spent on purchasing a bag of sugar. And so one morning he got up in his anger and he got a lumber saw. And he took that lumber saw and he halved, took and, and, and put, put the saw half through their home and split it in half. And then he went out one morning and another morning got planks of lumber and wood and he began to nail up the raw edges of the house and to be able to put lumber on the big spacious hole that he had created. 
And not only that, then he took off one of the halves of the house and he moved it to another section on the property of their home, of their, of their home that they were living. And they put it behind a scruffy, he put it behind a scruffy pine tree. And you know what? That's where the two, the two of them, the husband and wife lived out the rest of their days in separate half houses. Now, in year 18 of our marriage, 1996, Larry and I had felt like we had cut our house in half. Hmm. You know, if you were to imagine the 43 years of our marriage, that each year was one chapter of a book. So this morning, what we wanna do is we wanna read to you a bit of chapter 18. And, and I mean, actually, literally read it. And it was a long time ago, but, but our marriage was certainly old enough and mature enough to be quite a ways down the road with our four children and things. And this year was a seminal moment in our marriage then, and I think forward. Right. So here, we'll read you a little of our story. Uh, we had moved to Holland, Michigan from Chicago to help a team plant a new church. We were in year three of that church plant, and suddenly and unexpectedly, I was essentially asked to step into the lead pastor role. So this transition began at the church in May, and about a month after we started that, Ann's mom, who'd been suffering with cancer, she died. And on that day um, of her death, as we got a call, we got a call early in the morning that we should come home as quickly as possible. We had a couple of our kids away at camp. I remember Larry having to perform a wedding that weekend. And so obviously it was gonna take several hours for us to get our, all our stuff together and to be able to get on the road. And it was gonna be a five hour drive to drive to Ohio and to be able to get to the hospital where my mom was. But I want you to know my whole family was there. My siblings, their spouses were all at the hospital around my mom's bed and they were all praying and worshiping together there. And when we were about 15 to 20 minutes out of town. We ended up calling to check out, check and see what was going on. And that's when they had formed us that she had passed away. And I was the only one in my family did not get there at the hospital in time. And you know, I'll just tell you that moment to Ann really was a crushing disappointment. Yeah. Not only the loss of her mom, but missing the opportunity to be there with the rest of the family and be in that final moments, it really, it created a, a unrelenting sense of loss and grief in her heart as the days and weeks and months passed by. She really loved her mom very deeply, and, but I could not, I just, I couldn't feel the depth of Anne's loss, anything like she felt it. So not long after the funeral, it became clear that Anne's grief was deeper than I really could understand or respond to very well. So I began to feel that I could not meet her expectations to find the words or to say or be patient, uh, have my heart be patient just to be a good listener, to essentially to enter into her loneliness and loss. So as the days went by, I was increasingly fearful about the health of our fledgling church the pressure to lead well and give and grow this little church 
only grew in the pit of my stomach. And I became increasingly disappointed and angry towards Larry. And we began to have fights like we had never had before. It reminded us very similar in our first few years of marriage. Yeah. So there were a few times I stormed out of the house, which I had never done before. And in Anne's heart, these were acts of desertion and they hurt her deeply and violated her trust. Every month that went by, we became a bit more isolated, a bit more easily angered and frustrated. We kept our household afloat by tending to the daily responsibilities of running a home as best we could. We were as isolated from one another as we had ever been while I kept trying to preach and run a church while Anne tried to be the pastor's wife and mother, each of us running on fumes and unable to untie the knots that kept us from being friends. Right. And every month I felt less seen, I felt less understood, and I felt less loved. And in my pain and on my unmet needs and expectations, it pushed me deeper into my sadness and my disappointment. And yes, there were definitely moments of angry of anger. And you know what? I really again just felt alone. And every month I felt more powerless, more confused, more hurt, and more like a failure. And so we drifted. Yes, yes. So what Larry and I want to do right now is we want to pause from our story that you just heard. And we want to make sure that all of you are listening to this next truth, this next principle that we have for you. And it is this, every marriage is either moving towards oneness or it is drifting into isolation. I wanna just let that sink in. I wanna say that again. Every marriage is either, either moving towards oneness or it is drifting into a place of isolation. And we might not saw our house in half, but we all know that we can literally live like we have, can't we? Yeah, you know, couples don't fall out of love because they stop saying, I love you. Really, couples fall out of love because they stop saying, I am so sorry, will you forgive me? And we went a year, maybe, without ever saying those words. Right, right. The Bible says in a few... You say one more thing to the singles. Yeah. I just... Those, if we have singles here and, and if you're dating or you're in a serious, or you're engaged or you're in a serious relationship, I just want to just share something. We always share with single people when they're in that stage thinking about relationships. If, if you've been with somebody for a year or two years and you're dating and either you or the person you're with, neither of you have been able to actually say, I am sorry will you forgive me? And you've never heard those words from the person you're dating or you've never been able to say them. I just want to say to you with all the love I can muster in my heart, you are not ready to get married because you can't tend to your covenant without those words, without that spirit. Right. And so the Bible says, that's a great intro into Ephesians 4:32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, this scripture gives us a straightforward answer to why God asks us to forgive. 
It's simply because God forgave us. He forgave us. And as God's image bearers, we are charged. We are charged with this task of showing the world what God is like. Mm. And so we who deserve God's wrath, we receive God's love. And we who deserve God's punishment, we receive God's forgiveness. And so in Christ, in Christ alone, you and I stand forgiven. That statement, God's image bearers were charged with the task of showing the world what God is like. That's a a pretty scary, isn't it, that statement? It's powerful. And and it's never more true than when we forgive, when we confess. So the the second piece of this one I'll talk about here is 1 John 4.10. It tells us this, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to do the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a great truth. Love has a source and it's not me. Like I can't conjure up love for God. I can't make it up somewhere out of the air. I just, I love God, I love God. No, I can love God because he first loves me. And the spirit of God resources my inner world to help me love Like God is my resource to love. Like we're not left on our own. So the same thing is true of our forgiveness. Our forgiveness and our ability to forgive has a source that doesn't have to come from us. You know, we talked last week about the spirit of God dwelling in us, being our strength, being our truth teller, our helper. He's all of that. But when the Bible says that we're to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven us, we are sourced by the forgiveness we've received. I just want you to think there is not one offense, known or unknown, past or present or future, that will not be under the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus. And that... In that lies the source of our ability to forgive others. Yes. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing thing tied to our relationships. So as Ann and I progressed through eight, the year 18 of our marriage, the pain, the loss, the misunderstandings felt like we were living in a constant tug of war. This is what our life felt like in year 18, right here. Yes. We, we were just constantly yeah. pulling, I want this, I need this, I need that. And so we end up getting all these knots in the rope. And you know, these knots sort of have names over time, right? This can be unresolved anger, right? This could be harsh, sarcastic, or hateful tone. This could be storming out of the house. This could be silence and withdrawal. Keep naming the knots. This could be no intimacy. You know, there's just... There's just no end to what we can do. And we keep putting these knots in the rope and we keep pulling against each other. And what happens to the knots, right? They just get tighter. And you can't get the knots out of the rope when there's tension on the rope. You know, the Greek word for forgiveness literally means a voluntary release to untie or to let go. That's literally what it means. So for all of us, our personal battles with our own tug of war 
You know, sometimes that might last for a day or an hour sometimes in our marriage and maybe a weekend. And, and then maybe sometimes one lasts for a week. And then all of a sudden you've got a, you've got a knot on your rope that's a month old yeah. or six weeks old or two months old and you've kind of forgotten it and you've learned how to get along and it's okay, you just leave the knot there. But it has a way coming back. of coming back. Yeah. So the antidote to this painful struggle is the covenant-keeping work of repentance and forgiveness. So what we'd like to do is spend the next few minutes about talking about getting the knots out of our rope. So how can the healing process begin? So I want you to know during our 18th year, obviously we couldn't seem to find a pathway of healing. And I think even though we tried to be able at times to forgive and ask for forgiveness, but it was like Larry said, it was so disrupted by what the unresolved knots represented. But this is what I want you to hear. Honestly, honestly, it really was because of a hardness of my heart and Larry's heart. It began there. I had a hardness for that, and that I had um, not only grown towards each other, but I had also a hardness of a heart towards God. Mm. And so, yes. So the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 7.10. There's kind of a warning there that there's two kinds of repentance in the world. So 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So what's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Well, worldly sorrow really doesn't shake us loose from the shame and the discomfort of, of our person when we know we've been exposed or found out. And worldly sorrow is concerned more with a feeling of guilt and wanting to relieve that feeling. And worldly sorrow uh, does not focus on the pain that's been caused in someone else's life and the one who was hurt, but rather a lot of justifying and defending why we did what we did or why we said what we said and minimizing the hurt in the other person. And worldly sorrow, what it really does, it brings death and bitterness to our spirit. And obviously then that runs out into other relationships. So however though, Godly sorrow means that this, this is what godly sorrow means. It means I value, I value our relationship more than my pride. And it also means that I'm willing to sacrifice something in me for us. And it also means godly sorrow produces a genuine repentance, a genuine repentance that can lead us back to relational hope and wholeness to one another. So what does this kind of repentance actually sound like? Well, there's some things that are just clear. You know, the first thing is, it means we're gonna name the offense. We're gonna say it, I was wrong. We're gonna name it. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna name it really specifically. We're not gonna be general about it. We're gonna be specific. The next thing we're gonna do is that we're gonna demonstrate a willingness to turn away from the choices or behaviors that have caused the pain. And that's, that's what repentance means. It's a change of direction. And, and finally, we, we don't just uh, sort of hope that the person knows you're 
Sorry about it, but we have to speak out the words and we have to ask for forgiveness. We have to say the words. Right. So then what does the gift of authentic forgiveness require from the wounded person? And first we wanna begin with just describing to you what forgiveness is not. So true forgiveness is not pretending that nothing happened. That's not what we're saying here. But I do want you to know that withdrawal and silence is not going to be your friend. The the loss of your voice only is going to compound that painful effect on whatever, whatever that offense has already been committed towards you. True forgiveness is not conditional. That's a big one. You know, and I realize the idea when I suggest unconditional forgiveness can make a hurting heart feel like simply that this is just too big. It's impossible for me to be able to do. Because why? Because it just feels too painful and it's scary. And so what I wanna do this morning as you're sitting here, I I just wanna encourage you if you find yourself in that place. And when God forgives us, I wanted you to remind us, he does not assume that either you or the other one, the other one that is wounded, you, is a finished product. Neither one is a finished product. The wounded person and the person that that maybe that you've inflicted that on. We are not finished products. And he's working on both individuals. So granting forgiveness is often not a one-time event. It may take more than that because if the pain is deep enough and long enough, we may, not, we may just say, I don't wanna forgive. And we're just, I'm just really being honest about that in our heart. However, we know that is not the right thing to do because it is what God is asking us to do. He is all about forgiveness. So true forgiveness is not an automatic cure to the hurt. When you figure that you are not making a commitment, I want you to understand, you're, what I want you to understand, you're not making a commitment to not the hurt, not that you experience in the hurt. We're not saying that. But when, what you are doing is you're making a commitment about what you will do with the hurt when it flares back up. What am I gonna do with that? Because our emotions will oftentimes need time to catch up with our obedience. And that's very significant, but it still means that you walk in the way of the words of what God has and put it out in front of you and say, I will believe the work that God wants to do in my heart because I know that God has called me to forgive and I will walk in it and I'm gonna trust God to catch up where my heart will catch up to what is my obedience. And so sometimes when we though have has, um, you know, hurt someone deeply and they ask for our forgiveness, the best thing that we can do is simply say something like this. I'm gonna try to begin to forgive. I'm gonna really try. And I wanna know that I deeply appreciate your apology. Thank you. But would you please give me time to work through the difficult feelings? You know, this is really a gift. This is a gift that you are giving as as the wounded heart of that person. 
There's something that a part that you also can play in this. So when you communicate this in this way, it doesn't leave the other one asking for forgiveness with no response. And it prevents the person from making a premature apology to make another person just feel better. It's very significant. So the truth is you may need to speak that, those words over and over again, like I said, until God gives you the gift of freedom and that's what he wants for you. For all I know is this, is forgiveness is meant to change us. It's meant to change us, not to leave us where we were. Yeah. So when we forgive someone, um, again, like Larry said, we become the living example, the living hope of a God who creates and is able to make something new. Forgiveness does that. So if you find yourself struggling in this, let me just offer this, this suggested prayer to you. Lord, please help me. I posture my heart towards you. Help me to surrender and trust in the work of your Holy Spirit and in the truth of your word that desires to bring new life of healing in my pain. And in this journey of forgiveness, would you begin with me? Hmm. So one more, true forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, I can forget someone's name very easily. <laughs> I can walk in a room and forget while I'm, why I walked in there. I have more than once walked around the house looking for my cell phone while talking on it. Like I, I can forget things. But here's the thing about relational things. Sometimes I can be really good at remembering things too. Yeah. And what I mean by remembering things is that it means holding on to things. You know, we, we don't forget deep hurts. We don't. And God, God has not forgotten our sins, but God chooses to love us as if he has. That's really significant. Our hope is not in a God that forgets. Our hope is in a God who forgives. That's a really big difference. So this is a constant plea asking the Holy Spirit to help us lay down our hurt memories and forgive. Right. So we've talked about what forgiveness is not. And so we want to take some of the remaining time to be able to talk about what forgiveness is. So granting forgiveness is, and this is a big one, a supernatural response to the hurt. And again, this can only happen with a working in the spirit of God. It's something that he does. In other words, forgiveness is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I'm trusting that God is a better just, just, justice maker than I am. He's a much better person than I am to do that. And by forgiving, I release my right to get even. And I say, Lord, I'm gonna leave all these other issues of fairness to you. Will you, you work those out. And again, I wanna just remind us and bring us back to Philip Yancey's quote when we started this morning. Forgiveness offers a way out. It does not settle, settle all questions of blame and fairness. And often it pointedly evades those questions, but it does allow relationships to start over, to begin anew. And you know, about three quarters into our horrible, terrible 18th year of our marriage, we had to invite a trusted couple 
to come in and to be able to help us to be able to untie those knots. And it was hard because they asked some questions where I had to look at what is my part. And it was hard for me to receive it. And I'll be honest with that. But it did cause me to be able to come to the Lord and to be able to ask him, what is my part? And so I just wanna encourage you that living outside of community is not your friend. The community of other people to be able to come in and come alongside you is so important. And so whether it's another couple or that you need some professional counseling, please, it can make all the difference in the world. Mm. You know, the next one there says, granting forgiveness is an act of obedience to God. You know, we don't have to wonder if God wants us to forgive. You know, and I don't want you to confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. They're not the same at all. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one. And forgiveness is as much about your heart as the one that you're forgiving. So they're not the same. But, you know, the scripture is so filled with commands to forgive people who persecute us, to, to forgive our enemies. To love. I mean, there's any wonder about whether God wants us to forgive, which is a really great thing to know. So, and here's the other thing. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember his, you know, his famous words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. One of the most profound things to me about that moment is that Jesus initiates, walks into the process of forgiveness while he's still in the middle of his pain, his suffering. It wasn't all gone. He wasn't done. He, he walked into this process while he was still in that place, which tells you that oftentimes, depending on the scope and size of the struggle, forgiveness is a process. It's not a one-time event. So granting forgiveness is a choice to set your spouse free from the debt of their offense. So I want everybody right now to just take your hands and do this with it. And if you're sitting next to a person, your spouse or some person that you know, if you don't know this person, I'll let you off the hook. But I want you to take this and I want you to put your hands over the person's head sitting next to you, okay? And I do not want you to rest them on their head. I, I want you to not rest your hands or shoulders on anything. And I will tell you when to take them down, okay? So the next thing is that when we grant forgiveness, we give up the right to punishment. So we don't punish by our behavior, our words, our attitude, so that we don't nullify our words or our commitment to forgive. Granting forgiveness is giving up the right to ever bring, to bring it up again. So I won't bring this incident up and I won't use it against you. I'm not gonna dwell on this in my own head to justify any choices I might make. <laughs> Granting forgiveness, I give up the right to get even, which is a sign of internal bitterness. So anybody's arms bugging you yet? Okay, you can put them down. Now, I just wanna ask you this question. If that little circle like this represented bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, who were you hurting as you held that over your spouse or your friend's head? I mean, their arms weren't hurting because you were holding that up there, were they? I mean, it, it just is a, it's a visceral reminder that when we hold on to things and hold them over the head of our spouse, that we're harming ourselves along with 
our union. So like in our 18, going back to our 18 year horrible, terrible year, <laughs> we spent that year holding our hand, our hands over each other's head. Yeah, our arms got really sore. Yes. It was a year's worth. Yes, and we were holding bitterness. We were holding on to our rights. We were insisting that our pain was too great to be able to let go. And, you know, after a year of that, and we found ourselves going up to bed one evening, and we had another terrible fight in our bed. And all I remember about that argument was that I was angry and I left the room to leave Larry in the darkness with his own thoughts. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when you think back, I don't have any idea what we fought about, but I know that I've been laying up there in that bed by myself again in this place where we just had never been before this past this year. And it's miserable. And so I lay there and this is one of these moments when, you know, I said this last week about being aware of God in you, like his spirit and in our marriage and in our parenting is an amazing way for you to be reminded that God is present in your life. If you have ears to hear and you're willing to listen as he prompts you to live with this other person. This is one of these moments I'm in bed and I literally sense this, this uh, presence from the spirit of God that literally says, I don't know, prompts this impression in my mind. It says, how long? Yeah. How long are you gonna keep living, holding on to your end of the rope? How long are you gonna insist that you're the one that's understood, that your rights have been violated, that you're, you are completely misunderstood. How long yes. are you gonna live like that? Yeah. And it was enough, real enough to my heart to get me out of bed, yeah. to walk downstairs to the family room where Ann was down there crying. <laughs> and I sat down next to her and my heart for the first time in a year, like I, I wanted to be forgiven and I wanted to forgive Anne. I wanted to move towards her. Now, we had so much junk from the last year. We didn't attempt to work out every little, you know, unfair moment or like we couldn't even do that. But I, but my heart, something changed. Like, I don't want to live this way anymore. So I went downstairs and I said, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me for my spirit, my attitude, all the hurt this year, the, I'm just so sorry. And I, this is what, I let go. Ian wasn't quite ready yet, you know, to let go. She listened, she, she accepted, she received what I said, but she wasn't ready yet to go, okay, that's where I am too. Right, and then not long, not long after that, Larry and I find ourselves in a bed and breakfast. And there we are laying down on our stomachs, face to face, sobbing in tears of confessing our sins to one another, asking for forgiveness and being able to release each other and allow the gift of freedom, of forgiveness to give us a freedom of a newness of what needed to come into the spirit of our hearts. And you know what? I dropped the rope too. Mm. And it was a profound moment. Yeah, it's a long time holding the rope, man. Yeah, and Larry and I are even saying, as we prepared this message, 
it brought up that emotional feeling and that and yet that we're able to look at each other and say even after we sat there and had conversation it wasn't now directed at each other it was more where we stayed in our own circle of what god needed to do in us what did we learn about him what did i learn about myself and so it was more in the a conversation of we're learning what it means to know how to love each other and understand and growing in oneness and unity. You know, we had a lot more work and a lot more conversation to do, which we did over the days and weeks ahead, long time even that evening in the, in the hotel or the bed and breakfast. But I'll tell you one thing, you know, we learned enough that year and that we've never let ourselves get there again. So, you know, it was a long time ago, but I, we really believe that that was such a seminal year that we could have, we could have been in that situation for two years, three years, four, we could have wrecked our home over that. And so the re, that's the reason we chose to share it, even though it was a long time ago, because you can recover. You don't have to stay there. You don't. And we had lots of help along the way. You know, a few weeks ago when we finished up our Psalm series, Rob Sweet, you know, did Psalm 4610. And when he talked about the word, you know, it's be still and know that I'm God. And the word be still in Hebrew, he said, you translate as release or let go. Very same thing that the Greek word translates to forgive. And I thought to myself, you know, so the Hebrew writer of the Psalms knew that be still and know that I'm God, that to be still, to let go, to surrender, gives you space to recognize who God is and his presence in this moment. That's what forgiveness creates too, because you let go. That's what we're doing. We're letting go. So repentance and forgiveness, that process literally, it, it changed us going forward. And it was, it, I, if, you're, if you're married, I just want to say to you, I want to plead with you that the lack of repentance or forgiveness will not allow you to shepherd and tend your covenant promises. You will live in the small story most all the time. That's where it takes you. So I just want to encourage you to take the prompt from this weekend, get help, get talked, get humble, do whatever it is the Lord's asking of you. You know, and just to remind you that, you know, we, the opportunity to get better starts when one person drops their end of the rope. It doesn't take the knots out, but it creates the possibility that maybe it could. Right. So Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, forgiveness happens with one person. Reconciliation takes two. And forgiven people forgive others. Yeah. And this one little last admonition that I think is a hard one, but I just want me to think about it. What would it be like to trust God more than your pain? Because some of us have to do that because there's stuff that happens in life we don't understand, may never understand. We want to bring our time to a close with uh, 
sharing communion. And uh, so if you've got your elements, please take those out. You know, as Jesus spoke the words of forgiveness in the midst of his suffering, when he said, you know, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I was so deeply impressed when one day that I actually thought about the idea that every single time that we share communion, we break this bread, we are reminded that Jesus' forgiveness happened in the midst of his suffering, not after it was all over. So, on one night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, in the midst of his suffering, he took the bread. When he had given thanks in the midst of his suffering, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup. And after supper, he said this, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Oh Lord, thanks for communion elements that remind us continually that you forgave us in the midst of your pain and that you are trustworthy because you understand our pain. So grateful every time we get to take those elements to remember that that's true. You know, I'm gonna put up on the screen just three things for you. Just spend a, a minute or so here right now. Just this your response to the morning. And the first one is what prevents you from releasing your end of the rope? What stops you from putting it down? Second one, is there a name of a person that the Spirit is asking you to confess or express forgiveness to this morning, whether it's in your home or outside your home? Thirdly, write the name down and make your commitment to obey the prompting of God. Just take just a few brief minutes here and we'll close up. in our year 18 story, I don't know how many moments there were in that year where we had a chance to apologize, where, where we had a chance to try to talk about something. And our hearts got so layered, we didn't do it. We just let the pain build. The walls get a little thicker. And when we do that, we just seal the isolation that only breeds contempt, hurt, and mistrust. I just want to plead with you. If you're there this morning, 
you don't have to stay there. Reach out for help or turn to your spouse and start the process with you. Put your end of the rope down. And the last thing I just want to say before we end our morning is we cannot find God unless we know that we need him. Like we can't find him unless we know we need him. Like really know. So as you guys head out of here this morning, we're going to have some couples up here and there are also newers up here. And if you would like prayer or talk about anything, there will be three couples up here or just kneelers up here. If you want to take a few minutes before you leave the building, we'll be up here. Um, Otherwise, my admonition to you, my hope for you, my sending for you is walk out the door. And if God puts something on your heart in this morning, walk in obedience. That's my sending. Go obey. Trust and obey. (laughs) There's no other way. It's an old song, huh? So thank you guys. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Rest your weekend.